Welcome to King of Glory's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the chance just to speak your word. Lord, I ask that you, my words not be mine but yours, and that you, what you want to be said today will be said, and what you don't want to be said, I'll just shut up. So, Lord, uh, just be here. And in the name of Jesus, amen. Yeah, so my name is Carter Groves. Uh, some of you might recognize me. I've been around for a bit in and out. Uh, I started coming here when I was about this big, and now I'm this big. Um, yeah, my grandparents are Mindy and Anna Cannon. Love them a lot. Uh, I think they actually did more for my fundraising than I actually did, um, because they bugged just about everyone they knew, and people they didn't know. Uh, so yeah, I just finished at Texas A&M. May of 2018, and I knew that I wasn't supposed to go to grad school just yet. The Lord had laid it on my heart to do this thing called the World Race. What's the World Race, Carter? That's a great question, let me tell you. So there's a group down in Gainesville, Georgia called Adventures and Missions, uh, and their main job is to mobilize and to send out missionaries. And this could be like leading churches on a two to three week trip over the summer or a semester's trip. Um, but the largest program they have, and like their big one, is called the World Race. And its big tagline is 11 countries in 11 months. Well, my squad was a little blessed. We got to go to 13 instead of 11 because we're special. Um, no, we get the training camp in the, in the fall of 2018. Yeah, I remember all the time. I've been gone for so long. And they're like, well, a uh, new country has opened up. Uh, Nicaragua has just opened its borders uh, again. So you guys had to go from Honduras to Costa Rica anyways. So how about you just pass on through there for a little bit? I'm like, okay. So Nicaragua ended up being one of my favorite countries. I love Nicaragua. Hope I can go back. Yes. Yeah, so great. Um, and it was a life-changing experience. Uh, people ask me, how was your year? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, how was yours? <laughs> um, but it was just indescribable. And not only did we see people come to Christ, but I saw the Lord move in me. And that's what I really want to kind of talk about this morning is my identity in Christ and how that's been changed over from just training camp of October of last year to where I am today. Because I am not the same person. My mother can attest to that. Um, so I want to start out with a story. Month 10, we were in Lesotho. Uh, Lesotho is beautiful. Mountains everywhere, uh, kind of arid feeling. Um, love the scenery. The month was kind of rough with ministry, mainly because there wasn't much to do. Um, and so we had a lot of struggle with our hosts. So one weekend, we decided we we're going to go off um, and kind of just have some team time alone. And we went to this place called Sani Pass. It's supposedly the highest point in Southern Africa. There's a lodge up there. We stayed up there and, you know, had a glass of wine with a really nice cheap steak dinner. Um, and we were coming back and our host picked us up. And I don't know, most of you have driven up Old Fort Road coming up I-40 and how terrible that road is. And, well, there were six of us in this van including the two drivers. Um, we're trying to get up this road. It's kind of like Old Fort Road. And we start going up the hill. We're going about 40 miles an hour, then 30 miles an hour, then 20 miles an hour, 
and five miles an hour. And then we're just stopped and we moved about 20 feet. And we're sitting there. He's putting his gas on the pedal. I mean, his foot on the pedal. And we're not moving. And I was like, okay, you can, you can start moving now. And he's like, we're not moving. We can't get anywhere. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you guys had to get out. I was like, what do you mean we had to get out? It's raining. You guys had to get out and push the car. And so Lesotho is about eight to 10,000 feet up in the air. And we've been at sea level most of the time. So we're there and we're like just sucking in because we're not used to it. And we're at the base of Old Fort, basically, pushing this van up the hill. And we think once we get out of the car, that it'll just start going and we'll just have to walk up the hill. You know, it's 6.30 at night. It's starting to get dark. Nope. He gets about 20 feet again, and then the car stalls. So we're taking shifts, the six or seven of us, pushing this car up this mountain. And it's just a pain. I mean, it's getting dark. It's about 40 degrees outside. It's sprinkling. And we're behind this van pushing it. And we're just breathing in all this exhaust. And it is terrible. And we're pushing it up this hill for an hour. And we finally get to the top flat enough where the car can travel. We climb in and we're all just sick and tired. We're just worn out. And we get wake up the next day and was like, hey, look, a lot of us are sick. You know, there's no running water at the house. Um, and we just need a day to just recover. And I feel like that is a lot of our faith a lot of the time. Because we're trying to push that car up the hill on our own. And we get tired, we get bogged down, we breathe in all the crap of this world. And we're like, Lord, how did you do this for 33 years perfectly? We're like, this sucks. I'm worn out. But we don't let Jesus push the car. He's like, I'll do it. Just let me do it. He's like, no, I got this. Because we have this pride that we feel like we have to prove ourselves. And that's how I felt coming into the race. I felt like I had to live up to a certain standard, not that God set, but that I set. I did sports in high school. I had standards there. And I had to live up to those standards. I did ROTC in college for the military. Didn't join the military, as you can tell. But there were standards there that I had to meet monthly, you know, how to look, how to dress what my physical fitness was like, what my grades had to look like. I had to live up to these standards. And so I'm a, I'm a standard kind of guy. But my standards, not God's. And so I came in with this terrible mindset of who God was and that he had these standards that I couldn't meet. Before going to training camp, I really struggled with my identity in Christ. And I'll share a quick story, trying to make time here. Um, I thought for a while that I was going to hell. And that's because back in 10th grade, we came back from this thing, um, one of these conferences, really lively. I tried to share the gospel with someone, with these group of people. And then I was just sucking at it. Nothing was happening, and it was just rough. And after two weeks, I was like, I give up. And they asked me, aren't you that Jesus guy? And I just kind of shrugged it off. And that night, I don't know why I read this, but I read Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. And without any context, this sounds pretty rough. It says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, 
since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Wow. Your 16-year-old reading that, I mean, that's kind of rough. And I thought since I denied Christ in front of these people that I had lost my salvation. And I didn't want to tell anyone about that. I mean, Christian going to hell? Oh, my gosh. Like, I was so ashamed of this. And that stuck with me for years. And even once I got past that, I still felt like I had to live up to a certain standard or I might be thrown back into that again. And it wasn't until training camp last October, we walk in the worship. And, you know, this is a worship service like I've never really seen. I mean, people are raising their hands on the first verse of the first song. Like, who does that? You have to wait to at least the chorus before you raise your hands. Because if not, you're just strange. And so they're going crazy in there. And I just, I'm not feeling it. And this guy who doesn't know me walks up. He's like, man, you have a lion caged inside of you. You just need to unlock the cage. I was like, great, where's the key? Like, I don't know where the key is. We get a little later throughout the, month, throughout the week, and they, we take this thing called a Sabbath day, where we spend it only with the Lord. It's like, what am I going to do for 24 hours with the Lord? I don't know. He's like, I want you to read the book of Hebrews. It's like, I haven't touched the book of Hebrews since 10th grade. It's been six years, and you want me to open up the book of Hebrews? It's like, yeah. So I read the book of Hebrews. I get to chapter 6. I was like, great. Chapters 1 through 5 are great. I'm just going to meditate on those the rest of the day. And he's like, no, you're going to keep on reading. It's like, I don't want to keep on reading. <laughs> it's like, go ahead. So I read Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. I got there, and I was like, God, why would you, like, why do you want me to read this? He's like, just keep on reading. Like one of those parents was like, I know what's coming. Just keep on going. And so I get to verse 9 through 11. And it says, though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that, are, that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust to, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for him in his name and serving the saints as you still do. And I realized even though I had these feelings, I never stopped serving God. So I was like, I don't want other people to feel the way that I do. And it was like, in that moment, things just took a 180. And I got baptized the next day. I was like, I'm changed. I'm getting baptized. But let me tell you, the enemy works in weird ways. Because the second after that, I just started getting pounded and pounded and pounded with all the crap that I still kept for myself. Because I didn't see God as Father. We grew up, Heavenly Father, God as Father. But I didn't understand two to three of the Trinity. I understand who Jesus was. He was the one who saved us all. He's the one who died on the cross, saved us from sin. God was just the guy who sat on the throne upstairs. And who the heck is the Holy Spirit? What is that? I mean, we talk about it, but what is it? And so today I really want to focus on God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't understand who those two are, then you are missing a lot of your faith. We read this book called Spiritual Slavery, The Spiritual Sonship. Great book. Totally meant to bring it today. Um, but he talks about a lot of you can be Christians your whole entire life, but not understand what it means to be a son of God or a daughter of God. You can live in this legalistic mindset like, yes, I am saved, but I still have to prove myself to God. 
and like this mentality of like, I have to keep on doing things to prove myself worthy of God's love. And I can tell you that's not how it works. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Romans 8. I'll be jumping around a whole heck of a lot. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. It doesn't stop there. And I feel like that's where a lot of us stop. It's like, all right, there's no condemnation. We stop there. Like, great, this is wonderful. And that's where I stopped. I was like, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But one of the verses the book is solely based on is verses 14 and 15. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's pretty big. Like Sam said, like we have the God of the universe to call Father. And there's some people out there who's like, well, my father here on earth was not a good father. He was not there. He was not present. I don't even know who he is. He was a drunk. He abused me. He put me down all the time. I don't know what a good father looks like. And we put that on God. And we think, because that's the only thing we know as father, is this terrible look of, okay, this is what a father figure looks like. So God still has to be somewhat like that. God doesn't work like that. Because he did not give us a spirit of slavery. He gave us a spirit of sonship. And one of the greatest examples of that is Luke 15, the prodigal son. You know, this is a story, a lot of people use it as like a conversion story for those who just come to meet Christ. But I think it's a great example of those who know Christ, but just need to come back. Because he was already son when he left the house. He just kind of lost a little bit. He took his inheritance, he ran off and spent it all, and the world hated him. The world is going to hate you. Sorry. Ruin your day a little bit. The world's not going to like you. And the the son realized that, and he wanted to come back, and he's like, all right, what am I going to tell my father? I'm going to tell him, you know, I'll just work off my payment. I'll do this. I'll do this. And then maybe he'll love me. And that's the way we look at God sometimes. We're like, man, I've really sinned today. You know, I don't want to get in my Bible. I think he's mad at me. I don't want to spend time with him because he's just going to judge me and judge me, and I don't, I don't want to put up with that today. That's where I was. But when he came back to the father, who was it who ran to whom? You see the father running out to meet his son before he even gets back to the house. And that is what Jesus is doing every single day. That's what the father is doing every single day for you. And when he gets out there, he clothes him in righteousness, and he gives him a ring. Now, a lot of you don't know this. I'm a history major. I love history. And back in those fancy days, when you got the ring, it was like the family ring. It was a signet ring. And those usually have like a special design on it. And when you dip it in hot ink, you would sign papers with it to prove that this was you signing it. And a document wasn't official until you got that imprint of the ring. So when you receive that ring, you become part of the family. You have authority to do your family's work. And when Jesus came, and when Jesus died on the cross, and he tore the veil, and he declared us sons and daughters, 
he put that ring on us. And that, that ring is the Holy Spirit. That's the seal that he's put on our hearts. Because with the Holy Spirit, we can do the works of God. That is how we do our Father's work. You can't do the Father's work on your own. Let me tell you, you're going to fail. And I realized that very quickly on the world race. When you think, oh, I've grown up in church. I know this Bible story. I know how to do this. You walk in, you're going to get smacked in the face because you're trying to do it on your own. When end of my month one, we reached, um, we reached our first debrief, and I was just not having it. Month one was hard. From where our house was to our ministry was about 100 feet. And that's where all we were allowed to go to because we were in a very dangerous part of Honduras. And cabin fever set in real quick. And I, and I slept in my own room, which was a problem because I was still struggling with who God was. And so I was struggling with this. I felt abandoned by God after my baptism. I was like, I don't know what the heck to do. And I get to the first debrief. We're sitting there as a team. I lie my way through. I'm doing great. God's doing amazing things in my life. And I remember walking out. I was like, I just lied, and I feel so heavy right now. We get to worship that night, and I couldn't stay in the room. The first song started, and I had to walk out. And I was like, I cannot sit here. We go out. I go outside, and I'm just crying to God. And one of my friends comes out there, and she sits with me, and she says, Carter, I'll be damned if I let you leave because I wanted to quit the race and I wanted to come home. She's like, I'm going to, I will not let you leave yet. God's still got stuff for you. Fine. So the next day I have a meeting with one of my uh, squad leaders. She's like, and we go through it all and all this stuff. And she says, Carter, you don't know God as your father. I was like, well, thanks. Um, That makes me feel great about myself. She's like, but you're going to meet him today. So I thought that meant hours in the word, hours in prayer, hoping for some kind of magical revelation. So I go meet with my other squad leaders, forgetting that I had a one-on-one scheduled with her. And we sit down. She looks at me. She's like, hi, Carter. I'm like, what, Amanda? Amanda wrecked my life most of the year. And we're sitting there. We go through our talk. And then I was like, look, I got to go spend time with the Lord. And she's like, okay. But let me... Let's spend time with the Lord together. And so we do this thing called listening prayer. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that. It's where you literally just sit there and listen for God. You're not talking, you're listening. Which, if you didn't know that, is part of conversation. You have to listen to the other person. You can't always talk the whole time. And so we're sitting there. And she walks me through this vision I've always had of me being on the playground with God. But I'm sitting on the fence line. In heaven, I know I'm in, but God's playing with all the other kids, and I'm sitting over here playing in the mold by myself. That's how I, my view of God always was. She walks me through these visions and just realizing it's a lie, and that the Lord's just waiting for me to just to come and join. But he comes and sits with me after a while. He's like, you know I love you, and I was like, I honestly don't. He's like, all right, we're going to sit here until we do. And every time I try to look at the other kids, he would push me back. He's like, we're going to sit here. You're going to sit with me. Until we realize, until you realize that I truly love you. And I remember we get it to Vietnam, and we're sitting there. I just got put in as team leader. I'm freaking out. And someone at my friend, 
asked my other friend, I'm not even part of this conversation, do you know the Lord loves you? I was able to answer yes. Do you know the Lord likes you? And so I was able to answer yes. Without any doubt in my mind. Because the Lord loves you and delights in you. There is nothing you can do to earn salvation and grace. There is nothing you can do. You can't walk out of here and do anything to earn God's love. I promise you it does not work. I Like signing up for this trip, I was choosing between the nine-month and the 11-month trip. I was like, well, maybe I'll earn a little bit more God points if I do the two extra months. Literally, that's the only reason I went on the 11-month trip. And that's not how God works. He's like, I've already given you your love. And if you look throughout the whole, like uh, Paul's letters, one of the biggest things he always talks about is your identity in the Lord. And I have a whole list of them because I lost my notes, but you know, I wrote them down earlier, so not today, Satan. Um, He can't keep me. So if you look in... um, uh, you know, the biggest ones are Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, I'm, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Colossians 2.12, have been having been buried with him in baptism in which you were open in which you were opening also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who has raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiveness of all your trespasses and that's just a few I still got tons I could read One thing I want to just give you today is your identity is not you. Your identity is not your own. If you think your new identity in Christ has anything to do with you, you're wrong. Because it's not no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when you try to do it on your own, you're working out of your old self. In uh, Colossians 3, it talks about putting on the new self. And I remember sitting with someone and they were like, how is it that how do I keep, how do I put on my new self? Like, it just seems so hard to give up all these things like anger, frustration, anxiety, and all this fear. Like, how do I give this up? And he looked at me and was like, you don't have to give it up. It's already gone. I was like, well, darn. I was like, what do you mean? Christ put that on you. Christ is your new self. You don't get the chance to put on God. When you accept Jesus into your heart, he's already there. He's already put himself in you and on you. You don't have to do anything. It's like, but that doesn't make sense. He's like, I know, (laughs) but that's the point. He is unworldly. The things of this world that we think make sense are actually what doesn't make sense. He's like, let me do the work. Let me push the car up the hill. I remember sitting with the first person I ever got to evangelize to. We were in the middle of Zimbabwe, my second favorite country. We were sitting there. I was sitting with this guy, and our pastors were telling us, you know, we only have about 15 minutes. We're trying to plan a new church, so we're trying to reach all these people. We don't have long to do it. First church service is on Sunday. 
So you have about 15 minutes with this person, and then you got to go. So stay away from the hard theological questions. If they want to debate, don't debate. Just, keep, just get in, get out, and get on your way. Get to the first house, and this guy knows, knows the Bible. He knows about Jesus, but he's just so mad because of all the suffering that goes on. He looks at me, he's like, how can I believe in a God? How can I follow a God who lets me live in this hut? Who, all this economic mess. If you don't know anything about Zimbabwe, they have one of the worst economies in the world. When we were there, they only kept, the, and the government is so corrupt that they had to keep the power on for their citizens for a certain number of hours a day. But they only do it, they do it from 9 to 5, p.m. to a.m. So as you're going to bed and as you're waking up, that's when the power is available. And so they're living in this corrupt society. And he's like, why should I follow God? And I was like, honestly, I can't tell you why things are happening the way they are. I can't tell you why you're like this, why you're living in this hut. I can't tell you about the suffering. But I do know that there are better things that come when you believe in Jesus. That peace that we talked about this morning is what Jesus brings for us. He gives us his peace and his joy. And that is so surpassing this world. You can live in a hut for your whole life, but let me tell you about that mansion you got in heaven for so much more time. Your time on earth is about that big compared to the circumference of the earth over and over and over and over and over again. But this is all we can see. There is so much more we have in heaven. And that's what I told him. I was like, I can't tell you why this is happening now, but I can tell you what's going to happen then. And he's like, okay. I was like, what do you mean, okay? It's like, I want to accept Jesus. It's like, I didn't think this was actually going to work. I don't know what to do next. <laughs> and so get in to pray with this guy and see him come to the Lord and being a part of that, like seeing where I was at the beginning of the race, not even think God loved me to explaining his love for someone else. I was like, oh my gosh. The Lord let me and my team be privileged in seeing over 276 people come to Christ that month. And speak this sermon at a church there, and that's when he told me, you're going to speak this one at King of Glory. And I was like, okay, lovely. So just knowing his love for us. And then there was this also the Holy Spirit. Before the world race, I called him an it. If you're calling the Holy Spirit an it, you're wrong. It's a he. It's God's spirit. And I love John 14. Side note, if you ever have time and uh, i'd read john 14 through 17 because that's one sitting of jesus talking to his disciples at the last supper it's the same talk and it's just so wonderful there's so much there and i read it so many times i love john 14 through 17 and john 14 uh 18 and 25 i'm just going to read these he says i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you and then verse 16, I will ask my father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This helper is the Holy Spirit. Because anything we do is through the Holy Spirit. So if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, he's the guy that's in your head who brings up that Bible verse for a certain situation. He's the one who recalls to memory everything you need for the mission of God. I love verse uh, 25. It says, I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance all that I have said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What an encouraging message that is. The God of the universe is saying, I'm leaving this with you. I'm sending someone who will be with you forever. You know, I love this. I, I had this revelation one day and it changed everything in Zimbabwe. And earlier in, in the chapter, he says, you know, greater things you will do than me. Let me tell you, that is not a prideful thing for us to be like, I do better things than Jesus. Because you can't do better things than Jesus. But how much more glory will God get if he sent his son who was perfect and did all these wonderful things and all these miracles and saved, saved the human race? But then says, I'm going to let these imperfect people and show, make them perfect. And they're going to do greater things than my son did. That's not pride for us. That's glory for God. Where he can say, see, Satan, you think you can, you can have control over them, but I'm going to take them and I'm going to make them perfect. I'm going to make them do better things than my son did. That's God's glory, not ours. And the second you start walking in that authority, like everything has changed. So not are we spiritually slaves, we're sons. And then he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners. He calls us saints now. We're not sinners anymore. We are saints. We no longer hold on to that identity that we are sinners. We are saints. And in 1 Peter 2, he talks about we are part of the heavenly royalty. We are royalty, people. I don't know about you. I look at the royal family. They got a lot going on for them. They walk around, they're all high and mighty about themselves. You know, they get the fancy weddings on TV and everyone's following their journey. How much more will we get in heaven? It's so wonderful. But we don't have to just look forward to heaven because your salvation and kingdom coming and everything starts today. Because our identity in Christ, all the good things he's promised us, doesn't start when we reach heaven. The glory of God starts when you accept Jesus. We are not living for eternity. Eternity started when we accepted Jesus. And I heard this said, it's like, when you look at, when you look at Christianity, you hear a lot of God came to, and saved the world. A lot of past tense, God came to save you, all, and which is true. But he saved us for eternity. And eternity starts today. When we start preaching the message that eternity starts today and not when we die, when the good things start today and not when we die, I promise you, people are going to get on board with that. Because they're like, you mean I can do it today? Like, yes, I'm not promising you riches or anything, but the goodness of God is all we need. And it all comes from the Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you me forever to live inside you. So you can do the works in me. And let me tell you, living in that is so much better than living in this legalistic mindset. There, there are things I have to do to climb this ladder to reach heaven. Man, we're on an escalator. It's moving for us. There's nothing that we have to do other than to let God do the work. He's going to let you drive the driver's seat and press on the gas and just steer the car up the mountain while he's pushing the car up the hill. Let me tell you, that's not a lot of effort. But he does ask us of one thing, and it's in John 15. And it says, Abide in me, and I in you. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him, and he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That seems pretty clear to me. We can't do anything apart from him. And I could see it from the beginning of my race and seeing myself trying to work exhaustively to do what the ministry has asked me to do. To the end of the race, I'm like, I don't know what the Lord's going to do. We went to do evangelism in Johannesburg my last month. And we were doing it in these communities that, um, in these slum communities, because what happens is a lot of people from the neighboring countries come to South Africa with this mindset, like, I'm going to make it there. And then they get there, there are no jobs, and they start, and they just sit there. And they squat in these giant communities, and it's so sad to see. But there's nothing else they can do, because they can't go home. They don't have money to go home, but they can't get a job here. So they sit in these shacks, and they have nothing to do, and they're hopeless. And that's the community we went out to reach. And we would go out there, and I was like, I don't have anything prepared. They're like, okay, let the Lord do the work. Let's pray about it. Let's say, Lord, you move, not me move. And I saw a man. This is a miracle in and of itself. We talked to this man who got so hurt by the church because when his father died, no one from the church came and visited him. No one came and comforted him. No one made him casseroles. There was none of this. No one came to see how he was doing, and he was so hurt by the church, and because of that, hurt by God. And I got to share with him part of my testimony, and another man got to share part of his testimony, and he was drinking, and he was, he was drunk when we were talking to him. And at the end of it, he's like, I want that. And he's like, but I just feel so connected to this bottle. Like, this is my only help. And he's like, Start by pouring it out. And he's like, I don't think I can. Can you pour it out? It's like, no, I can't do anything. You had to pour it out. And these bottles, I mean, these people are making less than a dollar a day, and these bottles of beer cost like 4 to $5. He just pours it right out. And I was talking to my friend, Logan. He was like, I, I've been here for five years, and I've never seen a man pour out his beer for God. And that's just one of many miracles. Not every miracle has to be a healing. Just throwing that out there. So yet, we did a lot of the stuff. We did a lot of construction. We did a lot of children's ministry. A lot of children's ministry. A lot of children's ministry. Taught a lot of English to a lot of people who didn't know English. I know how to say mom and dad in about every language that we were in. But it's those small moments that, you know, where I saw God move, whether it's a kid coming up to us afterwards and saying, I want to know more about Jesus, or it's that person you're sitting with for two and a half hours helping them with their geometry homework that's due tomorrow, and they, and they want to know more about what we're doing there, or it's actually physically helping someone expand their church because they're so overflowing with people, people are having to stand outside, and so we're expanding the church so they have more seating room. No matter what we did, we saw God move in amazing ways. But more, like, not just that, but I saw God move in me. And if there's anyone between the ages of 21 to 35 who thinks they want to do missions, I'm not working for AIM. 
But let me tell you, the world racing ex- is experience, not just for you to do missions, but for you to meet Jesus. We call it a greenhouse effect. You know, we get put in this greenhouse where we have people who've been just watered in the Lord who are planting seeds in us. And they're just sitting in there and we're not affected by the storms and they're just watering in us. So when we get out and we're planted outside, we are this gigantic tree that can't be knocked down. And there are seeds the Lord planted in me that are fully grown and some that are about this big. But they're still seeds. Now, unfortunately, the storm hits both the seedling and the oak tree with the same veracity, well, that word, same strength. And because the enemy's a punk, he really doesn't care. He's like, I just want to knock down as much as I can. I don't want you to get discouraged because God has got everything in his hands. And once we realize not only are we sons and daughters, not only are we saints, not only are we Royalty, we are warriors. I love 2 Corinthians 10. And this is probably going to be the last thing I have time to read. But I could go on for days about this because, oh my gosh, it is so good. Where is it? It says, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have power, people. We have authority. God has given us authority to do his work. And it is more than coming to church on Sundays. It is more than what a lot of us are doing. We have so much that the Lord has given us. He's like, I just want you to come on, get fired up. There are people who are like, who are about to go to hell and I want them to come home and they need you. I have chosen you for this work. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Why, you know, the Lord has called us, you know, to reach every tribe and every nation to go amongst the world. That doesn't mean everyone needs to go overseas to be an international missionary. That's not what I'm saying at all. Some people are called to it and some are not. But the homeless people there need Jesus just as much as the homeless people here. The rich people there need Jesus just as much as the rich people here. The politicians on Capitol Hill are the least of these, even though they might not think they are. They need Jesus just as much as we do. And Jesus loves them as much as he loves us. There's no ranking system. He's not like, well... I like you a little bit more to him. That's not how God works. And the last thing I want to say is faith. Faith has been the biggest struggle for me this year. You like talking about spiritual gifts and listening prayer and all these things that I'm a little like hesitant to get near. I'm like, okay, that's well and good. But what does that really look like? And I heard someone say my last month of the race, faith is this. If God was going to answer your prayers, what would you have to do anyways? Well, what? What does that mean? It's like, for example, I was building the, the schools that they built are built out of giant like um, metal cargo containers, the ones that are like 30 feet long. And that's where they put their classrooms. It's like, I needed three of those. And I'm not going to sit here idly. I need those, Lord. I need those. He did take time to pray, and he's like, 
But I knew that there are steps that I would have to take once I got those. So what can I be doing now, knowing that the Lord is going to provide those? So you went out and laid a foundation for all three of them. He measured out the ground. He cut them out. He laid a foundation. He bought the school supplies that he was going to put them, all the desks. He hired teachers. And bippity-boppity-boo, three random containers show up. Because God is a God of action. He wants us to do work. But not just because we can do it, because he knows that he's put his spirit inside of us so that we can do it. We are not supposed to be idle beings who sit in church on a Sunday morning for two hours and go home and live our lives and then go to church on Sundays. That's part of it. But there is so much more to our faith. Romans 12 talks about having our measure of our faith. Maybe it's Romans 10. Can't quite remember. But he's like, for a while I thought that meant certain people got a certain amount of faith. You got this measure of faith. You got this measure of faith. I'm going to give you a little bit more because I know you can achieve more. But then he said, no. Imagine going through a soup kitchen line. There's a ladle. Gives the same measure of faith to everyone who walks out. You get the same measurement. You get the same measurement. You get the same measurement of faith. You all get this. You all have the same amount of faith because it's not something that you can earn. It's something that I give you. And so are you accessing that faith? Abiding has two meetings. It means like this with you and community and talking with you and being with you. So abide in me and I abide in you. But abiding also has a second meeting. I realized this in Thailand. When you look at like uh, official documents and all those pieces of paper that no one else just reads, but I do. And like I was reading the, the Iran nuclear deal. I don't know why. I just decided I did. And it said, Iran had to abide by a certain set of rules in order to comply with the blah, 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 blah. And I sat there. I was like, well, holy darn. Abide means to obey. So are we obeying what the Lord is telling us to do? He's saying the go, not to sit in a chair. He's like, go reach the nations. Feed the widows and orphans. Go be my hands and feet. Go love people. He's not an idle God. He is moving day in and day out. And he's given us that same spirit. So that spirit inside of us is what's moving day in and day out. That's our identity. We are not weak human beings waiting for a father to come back. We have the father. We have the spirit. We have the son right now. And so by the time he comes back, we'll be like, hey, good to see you. It's been five minutes since I talked to you last. He wants us to be moving. And that's what I realized, not because I was a missionary. There is nothing special about me compared to the rest of y'all. Other than a yes in my spirit. Is God calling you to something more? Is God calling you to a two-week mission trip that you're so hesitant to see the do? Or are, is it something like, I really need to go talk to my neighbor. I see them struggling. What can I do for them? The Lord, I know the Lord's put them on my heart, but I really don't know what to do. But I'm just going to avoid it because they're kind of awkward. You know, they smell kind of bad. I could tell her husband does not wear deodorant. So I don't want to go to the house. What is keeping you from saying yes to God? Because I can tell you when you say yes to God, things are going to be so much better. I think I'm about over time, but that's good. Yeah. And, my, and I want to close with this. I know I've said that like three different times. But um, 
my time in missions is not done. Overseas, for right now, yes. For Cambodia, always. Not going back there. Me and, me and her have a strained relationship right now. Um, but in the, in the spring, I'm going to uh, Adventures and Missions Discipleship School. And we will be doing uh, missions part-time and schooling part-time. And this is really hard because it's not as easy as fundraising for a world, uh, world race long-term mission trip. But I'm still a missionary, and I just moved it to local right now down in Georgia. And so if you all follow my blog, you can tell that I've already signed up for it. It's called CGA, Center of Global Action. And so I'll be doing in the classroom in the mornings and in the mission fields in the afternoons, working at a job. Because our main goal is like, how do you bring missions back home to work in your life? Who are you reaching in your local community? And then it's kind of like YWAM. People familiar with YWAM and their DTS program? This is Ames' version of it. They just can't call it DTS because that one's already taken. So I'll be doing Ames DTS for six months. And I'm fundraising again. So much fun. Um, if you would like to partner with me, I would love to talk to you about it. Um, I had to raise $6,000 um, to cover rent, utilities, the class, and the mission trip that we lead at the end of the month, or at the end of the semester. Um, but yeah, this is my next yes. And it's hard because it's hard raising money for a discipleship school versus an international mission trip. Um, but I'd love if you have a heart to fund missionaries. I'm a missionary <laughs> and I'm broke. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just really love to come and talk to you. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for letting me to come up here and talk. Um, I didn't get to share all the stories I wanted to, but I really, that's what was laid on my heart. Because I really think identity is the biggest crisis in the church today. And if you can get your identity crisis figured out with the Lord, oh, things are so much easier knowing that there's this, oh, yeah, God's pushing it. I'm good. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Huh, like that verse comes into play or something. So, yeah, thank you so much. That's an excellent word. There's a sword. Here's your phone too. Yeah. yeah.